What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Happy New Year. This is the first episode of 2024, and this one's really unique. This is not like our other episodes uh, where I interview somebody that has done a, a big adventure that I've never talked to, oftentimes um, don't have a relationship with. A lot of the times, Randy here has been, funny enough, a listener of Adventure Sports Podcast for years, and we've talked on Instagram and talked on the phone a few times for a handful of years now, and he always thought, like, hey, I, I haven't done anything yet that could be on the, the show, and finally, he, he retired as a cop and took a year and did some amazing adventures, the Tour Divide, the Colorado Trail, and the Arizona Trail, and I'm like, dude, that is so worthy of an episode. You don't even understand. That's amazing. Let's let's definitely talk. And this was one of the best interviews, the best conversations ever, because Randy's stories are incredible. He tells so many. We talked for almost two hours and you know, we didn't upload all of it, but we we were on the phone over two hours. And this was just such a special experience. He's a huge inspiration to me and uh, really shows that uh, adventure can happen anywhere to anyone. And it really is a choice more than it is anything else. It's a, it, it's a lifestyle. It's a mindset uh, is what adventure is. You can fit adventure into small windows of time as you wait for big windows of time like retirement. And so he's going to start with how he got into this. And it was just a chance encounter with someone he ran into while hiking with his son. And we talk about all kinds of stuff. So just, you know, listen, enjoy. And uh, Randy, there's not, there's so much I could say about you. And this was just such a special experience and such a great way to start the year off. Captures the entire essence of what this show is about and the kind of people and the kind of stories we like to tell. So Randy, thank you so much for being on. Uh, You are absolutely worthy of being on here. He he talks a lot about imposter syndrome and which is so so crazy to me because the story is amazing. And so, uh, yeah. Thank you to everybody who's been listening. Last year, 2023, was amazing. I posted this kind of summary on LinkedIn of uh, some of the the big feats and some of the big uh, just wins from the year. And we're going to have some really good stuff coming in 2024. We're getting very close to episode 1000, which is going to be very special. Uh, And we have some cool announcements to make by the end of the month. So let's go ahead and dive in. Randy Brandt, welcome to Adventure Sports Podcast. Thank you, sir. Looking really forward to this. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you. It, it almost didn't happen just because I've had some technical issues, which 
Uh, it happens from time to time, and I was like, I got to find a way. So I fired up the old laptop. I haven't used this in literally years and uh, because the screen's going out, but it's going in and out, but it sounds good. We're going to power through. You were having some technical issues. That's just adventure, though, right? No, it's for, oh, let me tell you. Yeah, for sure. And just working through problems for, you know, one little step at a time. That's all adventure is, is one. It's problem solving. It's problem yeah. solving usually through the sport, through the medium of a sport. But, uh, well, let me ask this. Is this is this your first podcast or have you been on another podcast? Uh, I think it is. You know, a couple other shows that do some live format. I've actually, like, chimed in about Called different in things. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but nothing like this. No, like, full interview. I mean, I did some stuff, not a podcast, but my former job, I was actually, I, I dealt with our media a lot. So I dealt with a little bit of the camera stuff for local oh, news. okay. Um, so I'm somewhat comfortable with it, but yeah, first podcast officially. Man, this is awesome. So we've been in communication and I've been on the phone before a few yes. times over the last, geez, man, five years almost. I mean, how yeah. crazy is that? Yeah, it's great. I mean, through your moves and it's kind of, I think a lot of your uh, followers probably follow you, you know, when you've moved and you've had, you know, a child and different things. So you kind of feel like you really get to know someone virtually, if that makes sense. It's kind of, kind of yeah. different. It, I was just listening to a podcast about that exact topic is how you feel like you get to know people through uh, through media. And it started yeah. with TV and shows that had seasons that mm -hmm. people felt like they knew these people. And I, I feel that way about a lot of the shows I listen to and, you know, listeners and folks that just stay in touch over the years. But, man, yeah, man, when I took over this show, because this show is for folks listening that might be new, I didn't start this podcast. I came in about three or four years when it got started, and then I've hosted it ever since, since 2018. And uh, yeah, man, I was I was a kid then. I, I, mean, I still am, but I had kids, and I moved across the country, and a lot's happened. But uh, what hasn't changed is just keeping the show going. And you, you've been there way before I was here. So yeah, it's, you've it, seen it's, even more change. No, yeah, but it's it's super funny because it was like a natural transition between who ran it before and then you. Like it, yeah, you could Kurt almost tell Travis. it was a it was a really clean handoff. So even when you do, I guess you go back to certain shows when you kind of highlight when he had it, or you know, yeah, like every Thursday him. I do a throwback episode. It's it's sometimes t tough to figure out it's a different person. I mean, obviously your voices are a little different, but yeah. the the vibe of the show is the same. Good man, that's good to hear. And it was, you know, it's funny. There's a there's definitely a story there, and I don't. I'm not gonna make. You know, I try not to actually talk a lot during interviews, but this is such a unique one. Uh, it's it's good to actually finally meet too. So that's yeah. like we're 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 catching up. Kurt and Travis, who hosted the show before, Kurt, who did most of the interviews, and that's a lot of who guy throw back to on Thursday. Um, the reason they stepped away from the show was because of doing the interviews. They were so inspired and like changed through talking to all these awesome people that they were like, I want to go do something. But yeah, to yeah. do that, it took not hosting the show anymore because this it is a lot of time. It is a lot. Oh, of, I like, could only imagine. Focus, I could only imagine a lot of nights and weekends. And and I was, you know, leaving that kind of. 20s uh rambunctiousness and figuring what you wanted to do out and entering kind of that more stable consistent you know we're getting ready to start a family and it was just like perfect timing yeah and uh man i i will say they made it so easy i'll never stop uh thanking them for the opportunity because it was like um they didn't have to do that and and they said hey we want the show to keep going but we don't you know we don't think we can host it with all the stuff we want to do one of them travis wanted to adventure full-time get an rv 
Kurt wanted to move way into the mountains in Colorado, and they both yeah, have done that. Yeah, he's in Gunnison area or yep. something, if I he's remember in the right. Gunnison. We right? stay in yeah. touch. I messaged yeah. him last week. Gosh, this is awesome. So tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get into this stuff? Where, where does it start, or where do you want to start? Uh, it? Well, it's, it's kind of wild because I've been kind of reflecting back on how it all kind of started. I had kind of a unique situation that I was working in a career after uh, the military. I went, went uh, into law enforcement and I had two young children and both my young children were playing like competitive sports and on the road all the time. So it was really difficult to kind of step away and do things. So uh, once my son got out of sports and then was slowly getting into like the college years, so probably about 18, 19, and I actually think I corresponded with you about this a little bit. We were doing a, just a big hike. We'd, we would do an annual trip up to Montana. We'd pick a remote lake and we'd cruise up there in my little Honda Civic just loaded down with paddle <laughs> boards awesome. and everything else. And 90% of the trip, believe it or not, it wasn't necessarily about where we ended up. It was kind of the journey in between. So we did that for about two years. And then uh, when it went to Banff with a couple paddle boards, uh, California license plates, pulling in there with a lowrider Honda Civic dispersed camping because I get really good gas mileage. So it was just kind of fun. And these people would be like, you guys drove that thing from California. And then of course we would be like, <laughs> that was part of the, like the funny story. And then we ended up on all different little trips in between based on what people would tell us. But we were on Mount Tollick and I'll, for people that are in the Tahoe area, they're probably correct my, uh, the way I just said that because I've heard it mentioned multiple times. And we were coming down off like a 15 mile hike. It's the highest point of Lake Tahoe. And I saw a photo of it. And then basically it oversees the whole Lake Tahoe kind of basin or all the way around. And it looks like you're in an airplane when you look down at that lake. And we were coming down that trail. And of course you're, you're riding on endorphins. You just, you know, had a good hike. You know, my son and I are having time together away from all the distractions you get, get at home. And we came across this guy that probably in his mid seventies uh, at the time I was probably about 48, 49. And uh, we start talking and he, he goes, Oh, I just completed all the national parks. And I mean, I, I didn't even know how many national parks there were. I know kind of the general ones around your, your area or, you know, all the popular ones just that yeah. we all know you from. Hear, you hear the big names, but you're not yeah. sure if that's the whole list or, you know, so I, 10, I was like, hundred. Yeah. Correct. So I was like, I'm like, wow, that's like, that's pretty fa fascinating that you're able to do that. He goes, well, believe it or not, I got out of the service when I was around 20 and got married and my wife and I made it a pack together that we we're going to see all the national parks. And I go, Oh, wow, that's amazing. He's alone, you know, when he's hiking this and obviously we're not in a national park. And he said, she passed away after about 53 parks. And I did the remaining parks in her honor. So I kept walking and I'm like, my, he kind of walked off. And then I, I thought the story was really amazing. I've re, like thought back multiple times to it. And I told my son, I'm like, here I am in my late forties. I've seen only like two or three national parks. And then I started being like, the, like what a like I have enough time that I could take advantage of more things. And so I, I made it a pack, like, okay, I'm going to see all the national parks. And I wanted to do it within like two or three years, which now looking back on it, you got to spend some time at the parks because each one has their own stories, but I'm, I've had the opportunity to hit a bunch of them. And in between I, I find out a lot that some of the things in between are actually better than the national park I'm going to. They're all great, but you just never know until you, you visit some of the parks, what you're going to see in between. Yeah. Yeah. What, so what I started you, doing that. 
So, all right. So that guy had that influence on you. Yeah. You start, you realize, that, well, there's at least 53. And I think there's like a total of probably at the time, 58 or something, 56. Yeah. And, I think it's low 60s now. I think yeah, they just it's up added in the 60s, one. Yep. So I think it's they keep like, adding yeah. them, making it more difficult for me. Because, like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, how am I going to get to America Samoa? You know, thinking on all, all right. these things. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank. Yeah. All the ones now are pretty. You know, they're out there, or they're something like the St. Louis Arch or something, where it's like, okay, I can, I can see that. You know, um, it's not like Glacier, but it's, it's definitely a cool spot. Um, man, so that's that's a cool uh, resolution, I guess, but. What what did the what your son think? Did he have any thoughts uh, on it at the time? And was he enjoying these experiences with you? I, I think he was, but like you, sometimes you know, it takes certain unique kids to really have things like that resonate with them at that age because there's just so many things going on. And uh, he, I mean, he knows. But my, my father passed away at 56. Okay, he was a retired police officer. He read books about everywhere. Uh, we owned a co- commercial fishing boat growing up. So Alaska always intrigued him. And then I would, I would hear that through him. Where was that? By uh, the way? That was, that was actually, it's big now, believe it or not, but uh, big compared to where we were, but in like 19, probably like seventies, late seventies, we owned a commercial fishing boat out of half moon Bay, uh, which is where Matt, you know, the po- popular spot Maverick surf spot. Uh, you see the big, big wave surfing. That's basically Half Moon Bay. I'm it's right outside with Half Moon Bay. Yeah, and his ashes, and then his father's ashes, who was also like a maritime guy that was really in the ocean, are there also. So uh, we kind of grew up around commercial fishing boats, and then uh, my dad was also a police officer, owned a few boats out of Pier 45 in San Francisco, which is like if you go to San Francisco, and you're going to Fisherman's Wharf. That's the area that like was a stomping grounds. My brother and I would just cruise through there at, like six and 10 years old while my dad worked on a boat. We would just mess around like at all the tourist spots. Um, so this is a long uh, answer to your question about my son. Appreciate it. But my dad died at 56. He had all these places he wanted to go. And it made my brother really realize that like, hey, we need to really take advantage of these opportunities because you just never know. He had a heart attack out of the blue, you know, so uh, everything changed. So. We've really tried to. How old were uh, you? In, uh, so I was probably, I guess, mid twenties. That had to be hard. Yeah. So I got married. Uh, he saw me get married. Saw my, fr- I think, either one or two. I think both children were, were born, but they never. They had very little recollection of them. And, and I mean, I could share a photo offline with you this about it, but I mean, he, he was like a total like legendary old school uh, police officer that really embraced the whole community outreach and knowing everybody on his beat. His father was also. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I know that's not the point of the show, but I'm, I'm third, was third generation police officer. My son's fourth now. No kidding. I didn't yeah, know that. Fourth. Awesome. Yeah. Same, same city. I left and we actually rode my last shift together. That's right. That's right. That man, that is that is what. All right, let's let's take a quick side trail. What was that like? And, and re- really, well, f- funny story about that is, uh, so he got hired. I, I was raised around a police officer that didn't share a lot about work. Okay, I I I, I saw my dad in uniform probably two times in uh, my entire life, and really? that was towards towards the end. Um, I would hear stories because he and my grandfather would share stories about you know the good old days and like knowing different San Francisco is very uh, family oriented. So they tend to hire a lot of generations of cops, like nephews, cousins, brothers, sisters. So they would share a lot of stories about different siblings or whatever. 
So once I, I got hired, he attended a few things like my academy graduation and, you know, formal events. And then later on, uh, he would start sharing more and more stories because now I'm actually on a job that he did. So there was a lot more common ground. Um, but my son, I wanted him to really understand what was going on because law enforcement's going for, through some really unique times right now. Um, so with all the technology and oversight and social media, uh, everyone knows, all your listeners know, but they see it every day on the news, different things, uh, pro, either for or against law enforcement. Well, I really wanted to know, let my son know what he was getting involved in. So I was pretty involved in some of the training and I was actually, uh, Eventually, I worked to a point that I oversaw our special weapons and tactics team, which is our SWAT team. So I would have him volunteer for like scenario based training or outreach training regarding some of our uh, charities that we worked with. Um, so like active shooter training when you're when you're dealing with like uh, mass casualty incidents with applying tourniquets, I'd have him and a bunch of his friends play victims. So I really wanted him to know what he was getting himself into in opposed to coming into something without, and he's like, wait, there's people that don't necessarily support us in any job. It's the case. So I really wanted him to be in a good mindset, understanding what he's getting himself into because it's a career and it's a commitment. And you got to know that not everybody likes you, but that's really any job. Uh, so, so he ended up getting hired. Uh, he got hired at a unique time, right? during COVID and all that stuff. So any classroom atmosphere or thing when you're in close proximity, it's difficult to put on those type of uh, training, whether it be academics, college, high school. That was a weird time, as we all know, because we've never dealt with it. So he ended up getting hired, went through our training program. I'm in my last two or three years on at the, at the police department at that point. And then I was coming up on my retirement date. It's a big deal your last day with law enforcement because they do like a, a drive-in with as much staff and family that could attend. And then you actually ride in together. You pull into a place where everyone kind of renders honor to you, like saluting. It's really awesome. I mean, you, you've attended like dozens of these through your own career. So when you're finally in that position, it's, it's really sur surreal to finally be in the opposite side, like you're actually now the recipient of all these people are being really cool and showing up in the morning to see you off, you know, into the next chapter of your life. So he rode with me that, that night, but the side note story is I, I was pretty tight with the guy that I worked with, a, a sergeant and uh, he pretty fit, fit guy. We always worked out together and do different things because we really started to embrace fitness as a, as a, at our occupation towards the end. Uh, and then they still are now just because it's super important for the all, overall wellness piece. So I go, Hey, John, that was the guy I was working with. I go, Hey, um, I'm retiring here in a few weeks and I'm going to ride with Justin. As you know, I said, I've always wanted to run to work, uh, before. So and we're working graveyard shift also. So you're sleeping during the day and you're only, you're working 12 hour shift commuting 30 minutes each way, at least, you don't get out right on time anyway. So your, your window of sleep isn't real good anyway. I go, hey, hey John, you want to run to work that night? And he goes, he goes, I'm in without even knowing mileage, training, anything. So we, we ran to work that night and then uh, worked our whole 12-hour shift and then did the send off in the morning. And I rode with my son. He drove and I just kind of hung out with him all night. And then, you know, we went to calls and do all the normal things police officers do. But instead of a, a partner that, you know, as your day-to-day -day partner that you might uh, have closer to your age, it was his dad cruising around with him. You got to 
weigh all that and then, you know, do the normal stuff. Was there anything yeah. on that day that was, you know, anticlimactic? Like, you know, I had to go uh, parking tickets or something like that. Just all that stuff was happening too, right? Or, or is your last day a little different? Uh, so I was in, I was fortunate enough to get promoted, uh, and eventually I retired as the watch commander. So, uh, we have a Lieutenant and then we'd have about, I don't know, anywhere from probably six to 12 officers, depending on what time of the night that people kind of shift in and out for overlap for your prime time. And we happen to be just one of those cars. So even if that, he wasn't in a car with me as a manager out on patrol, you don't tend to go to all the calls, but yeah, the yeah, high yeah. priority calls. Or if there's something of significance, like a missing child or something like that, where we want all the resources there to help, the more eyes on the street, the better uh, we would go to. But that night, we just kind of cruised around and stopped in on calls. And of course, it was my last night in uniform working with a lot of the people that I really cared about. So I was trying to like embrace that while kind of limping around after the 29 mile run on the way to work. So, yeah, I, was, I didn't even ask how far yeah, the run was 29 miles. 29 miles. Yeah. You ran a marathon before work. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Not, not real fast, but we did it. Yeah. Dude, how'd your, how'd your buddy do? Uh, he did great. Um, it's just such a cool thing. And I already told him, I said, Hey, he, he's probably going to retire in like eight or nine years. Uh, and then I, I go, I'll, I'll come in and run with you again. I'll be about 60, but I'll be able to do it. Wow. It's, it we just won't be too fast, there you but go. it's cool. I mean, as you know, like a long hike or something where you really grind and go a long way, not only is it probably the really good things that make you reflect on what you did and accomplish, but there's just so many stories while you're chatting with a friend hiking that you you've never really been able to kind of experience because we're all so busy. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell anything online at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million dollars in revenue stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're a podcaster trying to sell merch or selling autographed sports memorabilia, 
Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one commerce platform to their personal POS system. Shopify has got you covered. Now, I do use Shopify with my day job. That's our website and that's our platform. It's so handy. It makes it easy for us on the back end. It makes it easy for you as a shopper and as a customer to sell more. And they can help you all the way from those early, early days until you're a real business making real money. And that's what I love about them. No matter how big you want to grow, Grow, they can grow with you and help you take control of your business to get it to that next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ASP, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash ASP to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ASP. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Man, I'm telling you, we you know we we have a new YouTube series over at Athletic Brewing called Take Two, where we do interviews on hikes, and the and the reasoning is because there's nothing that opens you up like going outside together and walking or running around or biking around. It just something about that change of scenery and that effort that just gets people thinking, gets people. It just opens people up. I think right. it's such a wonderful thing to do. Go for a walk with someone that you you kind of know or need to know more, and yeah. you whether it be your your spouse or your your siblings or someone, go. You're gonna learn something new about them outside together. So you, you were able to retire, and right. what? How long was the time between you met that old man uh, in Tahoe and retirement? That was probably about two years from retirement. So I started hitting all the national parks. On, I would take two or three weeks off and then I would just do a road trip uh, originally in my Honda. And then it, I kind of built like an overland rig that I could kind of disperse camp out of. Um, so I started doing all the local national parks. I did probably like uh, California. I did all the California parks pretty much in one run. Um, and that's where the paddleboarding came into. There's so many like little things that I figured out. Paddleboarding was at that time, the inflatable were pretty new. Okay. So like meaning there's so many companies that are com competitive in the, the space now, but I went to the Sequoia national park and went to a lake down there and I was sitting on the edge of this lake. I backpacked in, it's about 10 miles in. And, uh, that was carrying the my paddleboard on your back. Yeah, no, no, not yet. So that was my first like backpacking trip that outside of like a overnighter. Okay. And then my bad for going to REI and thinking that I needed everything on the shelf to carry because about mile two or three, I'm like, why, why am I carrying this chair or this towel? I mean, I was probably carrying 60 pounds of gear on an eight mile hike for like an overnight. It's totally dumb on, on my part, my Gotta part. Start somewhere. Yeah. So, um, so I get out to the spot and then there was really no one on the lake and I, I was on the edge of the lake uh, camping in a tent. And then I remember that night, like at sunset, I'm like, there's got to be a way to get out on that lake that I could carry something light. So I started doing a little research and then I, and I'm into fitness. Like I rather, if I'm going to do something water related, I rather get some fitness out of it, whether it be core or a workout. And I started researching paddle boards and then I got on some forums and then everyone was telling me this one particular brand who I actually do a little bit of work with now, Nixie was like one of the lighter boards. Mm -hmm. And I could get an 18 pound paddle board with an oar and a small hand pump 
into my whole set and be about run about 50 pounds uh, with that, my food, and then last about two or three days to create like a base camp to do remote lakes. I would just go out to like the Eastern Sierra, create a base camp, go lighter with my paddleboard and deflate it and hit a couple, two or three lakes. And I'm the only person on a lake with nobody around. It's really cool. You know? Yeah. So that's how that kind of came about. Dude, I'm, I'm a big time paddleboarder. Uh, I, now that being back in Florida, there's so much water. I love it. It's just oh, I bet. seeing the water, like looking down on the water is one of my favorite things to do. Seeing the animals and just the peace. It's like hiking, but on the water, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, for sure. That, that's what I compare it to. It's that kind of pace, that kind of, um, perspective. And, uh, the way you do it though, is so cool because I'm one of the only paddleboarders out in a lot of places I go but only because everybody else is in a boat. <laughs> so there's like tons yeah, yeah. of traffic. You though, you're one of the only people out there. And then on top of that, you're probably the only person ever out on the lake this way because you're carrying it so far. Um, right. So after that first experience, it sounds like you were onto something. Yeah. Then I, then I started doing some of the paddleboard trips and then kind of a, a hybrid national park, find lakes around a national park, not necessarily in them, but if I saw a cool lake, in between where I was and my destination, yeah. I would like camp there, ride paddleboard there. And then, I mean, just like yourself or anyone that listening, it's, you just realize that there's so much in between. Like I would stop to get fuel and then someone would be like, Hey, you got to check this out. So next thing you know, I thought I was going to a national park, but I'm doing like two or three side lake trips or camping trips, which uh, can be better because for sure. hardly anyone's for sure. there. I mean, I don't know about you, man, but the the more I the older I get, I'm looking for those places that aren't on, you know, bucket list A items for people. I want to be there's a 14er over here. Well, let me go to that 13er on that side of the valley cuz there will be one 100th of the people there. And it'll oh, be the no, same sure. same view, same experience. I mean, it's 200 feet lower. Who knows who knows any yeah. different. But anyway, yeah. I'm sure that was, those were, those spontaneous trips were probably yeah, they, some they of the were, best. Oh, I, I think like the, the, when I went up north towards like, uh, uh, towards like South Dakota, North Dakota, Rushmore, all that area, like I had, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area and I didn't leave California much other than I, I lived in Alaska for a couple of years in the military. Um, just, I went there to kind of experience what my dad used to always talk about from books, commercial fishing and that. But when I got to South Dakota, like Custer state park and some of the little, like the black Hills in that area, they get like no notoriety, like nationally, unless like people. And it's, I mean, I had a Buffalo right beside my Honda civic that basically could have chewed on my mirror. It was like right there. And like, people don't, see, yeah, it's. I was telling him I'm staying, I'm in Texas right now on another road trip. And then a guy I'm with, he's planning on going up that way next year. And we're talking about like little secret spots. And I'm like, South Dakota is awesome. I mean, it, it's a great state. Yeah. And it's the people, you know, when you, when you leave your little day to day and wherever you live and the media and all the distractions, and unfortunately a lot of it is just pushed at you so much. It's very easily to get influenced about what's going on in society that when you step out it really makes you realize like there's just so many like awesome people willing to help you out whether it be like a trail angel on a mountain bike ride or someone that pulls over because they see you pulled over because you're lost and it just makes you really uh get an appreciation for where we're at and if you stay home and you watch your tv you're not necessarily going to capture that so i think getting away 
is a good reset for anybody, whether it's a hundred miles from your house or a 2000 mile road trip to the Midwest, you know? Did you at all have to learn that from your career as a police officer or were you, cause a lot of my friends that are cops that like, they talk about that a lot. So I didn't know if that was the case for you. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily like the one thing that I, I have learned is I've always been in a very structured environment as far as schedule at work and contingency plans. If really, if anything goes wrong, you're able to deal with it. And that that's good and bad. You don't tend to wing it a lot. And I, I think going on these road trips and that, I think it's really forced me to get out of this, the schedule and then be flexible with your trip. Uh, and I think that's re really important. It's funny, but I've applied a lot of the things I learned from either the military or law enforcement, like little uh, problem solving acronyms for like, if, if I come to an issue, like we just did, uh, and you, you probably saw that, I think I tagged you in a photo and, and talking about micro trip, um, my, my cousin who we're, we're almost like brothers, the way our family grew up, you think, you know, someone until you really traveled with them. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so good. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to, yeah, I'll get to that acronym in a second that I think is really helpful about like problem solving a trip. But so he flew, I, I drove to, from the Bay area to Vegas. I picked him up at the airport. He works more of like a nine to five Monday through Friday job. He hops in my truck, doesn't do a lot of these type of trips. We drive uh, four or five hours to the Grand Canyon, uh, right outside Mather Campground there. We pitch our tents because we didn't want to break my rooftop tent in the middle of the night to, you know, kind of mess everybody up around me. And uh, we'd been planning this trip for probably about a, a year talking about it. So, and then we we had, we did rim to rim. Uh, he did rim to rim, which was, you know, 25 miles. And then I did uh, there and back, which is, you know, 49. But again, like, he did that whole trip in like 36 hours, like flew in, picked up, get to the end, edge of the Canyon, run 25 miles. He met a family on the other side. This is a part that I love about these stories. We it's his birth. It's his birthday. He's got three kids, right? So he's leaving his family. His wife says to go find himself, you know, making fun of him. Right. Yeah. So we run this whole thing. We get to the other side and then it's his birthday, the day we're hiking it. So everybody's like, all sweaty, uh, filling up their waters are either going to turn around and do the next rim or they're like loading up in their cars, which is a four and a half hour drive to the other side, back to the South side of the Canyon. Right. So we're all hanging out there and I'm all, I'm all, Hey everyone, uh, this is my cousin. It's his birthday. So everyone starts clapping and everyone is supportive. Like, good job. You feel like you're racing, but you're not like, I'm just a 50 something year old guy trying to go across the Canyon. So, and, and I go, Oh, by the way, he needs a ride to the other side of the Canyon. So he ends up meeting his family out of Utah who volunteers to give him a ride. They go, go and grab a, a cupcake out of a little convenience store on a gas break. And they're like singing to him in their car. Happy birthday. He doesn't, he didn't know these people an hour before that, Dude, wow. but that's what I mean. Like, that's exactly like this, that, that, that the whole story wouldn't have existed if we didn't take this trip. And it, it made the story that much richer. If you have perfect weather, you get from A to B, everything works out. You didn't roll an ankle. You don't have any blisters. That really isn't a great trip. The great trip is when starts stuff starts going wrong and you figure it out and work through it. You know, you could write the book at this point on adventure. That's it. You're hitting everything, everything that's like, not, those... not really your, your guests. I mean, I've, I felt imposter syndrome even coming on here because your guests are doing some pretty, 
incredible things. No, man. That, so, that's, I think that please, that's a misconception about like the people I love talking to are people who love adventure and love to tell the stories. And that doesn't matter who it is. I, I tell, I don't know. Get asked this sometimes your favorite interview ever. And a lot of times it's just w- one of the most recent ones. You know, the one that just, I, you made your hair stand up. Tell like you talking about that birthday cupcake man that's so cool and like you said it wouldn't have happened no because you think how much can i really do in 36 hours right I, i'm a, i'm the worst defender of that of anybody and i talk to people like you every day i'll be sitting with my kids and they'll want to watch a show for a little bit and i'm sitting there and i'm like you know i don't know half the day's gone like what's the point of doing anything the second half but man look what you can do in 36 hours look what you can do in, in 24 hours you can fit so much into such a little amount of time without making it a super complicated thing. Just going out and doing something, yeah. uh, going and sitting at that beach, go to the lake and paddleboard for a little bit because you think you know what you're going to get out of it, but something you know. unexpected mm-hmm. always, always, always happens. You meet somebody, you run into an animal, you see something so cool, you see a, 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 you know, I, I was out the other night and I, I didn't even realize like a shuttle was launching and we were in the middle of the night camping and then this shuttle went up and I'm like, I'm so glad we're here to see this. This is so cool. Could have easily talked myself out of that trip. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. always some, something unexpected that makes it story worthy. I don't know. What what was your friend's, uh, what do you think it did for him? Oh, I think I, uh, for one, he, I think he right away he wanted to do another. And even when I finished like any of these things and that's, that's somewhat of a problem because you're always chasing that neon rainbow as far as like the ultimate experience. But like right when I finished the run, uh, I didn't know for sure if he even had a ride when I left. I said, if I don't hear from you, I'm going to grab my truck and I'll drive around to pick you up, which was like, you know, four and a half hours. So I, stum- I start coming up the north side or I guess south side. And it's that last ascent, which is, it, you know, Bright Angel Trail is a pretty steep trail. And uh, I, w- I went. Yeah, I went into it with with a lot of running, so I, I felt really uh, confident that it was going to go well. And then I started getting text messages when I came off airplane mode from him saying, "I found our campsite. I'm in in the tent. I'm good." Which just made me, you know, finish the hike in the next two or three miles, knowing he was in a good place because I was like perfectly prepared to finish the run and then hop in my truck and drive around the other side to grab him, you know. But yeah, so I I think he he uh, realizes how much you can do in a short period of time. We're already talking about doing different things in the future. I, I love nothing more than having the flexibility to do these trips and having friends that don't have that flexibility to jump in a plane, meet me at uh, an airport on the other end. I bring them to go experience it. They hop on a plane and they go home and I could drive and keep going in between. You know what I mean? So I give them a, a snapshot of the experience without having to take all the days off. Everybody needs a friend like that. I've got a friend like that. If he says, let's go do something, he won't let you come up with an excuse good enough to not do it. If you show yeah. interest, if it's like clearly like I'm getting married or, you know, there's a funeral, that's one thing. But if you showed right. interest, he's like, you don't have a bike. I got an extra bike. You don't have this. I got this. You don't have that. I'll do that. I'll meet you there. I'll, he just makes it happen. And he, yeah. you, people need that because a lot of times they don't even know what they're missing or they don't know what they're maybe maybe capable of sounds dramatic, but I think that's what it is. They don't know what they like. Wow. I can do this in this short amount of time. Holy. Then then they're, they're off to the races. Their wheels start turning. You kind of help them break that rust off. 
a lot of it's times. super helpful too like because my, my wife understands and it's kind of, i mean it's a saying that i hear and i always think about when you're on a trail especially alone you just unpack stuff all day as you know it's probably the best therapeutic thing you could do and uh i always think like idle hands are devil's workshop for me so like if i sit around and I'm, I start looking at all the projects that need to be done, which they're always going to need to be done. Or I'll start thinking of all the p- things that could get in the way of me doing things and making excuses. But once I'm out, it's it, it it's almost recharging my batteries when I come back to be around my family because I just experienced something. I'm on cloud nine. We just did. I mean, last year we just did a trip and I, I think you probably knew about it. We went to India to ride motorcycles through the Himalayas. Yeah. And it's not it wasn't a matter of if I could do it or when I could do it, it's I'm going to do it. And she was totally supportive over it and it totally worked out. And again, my, my buddy who's like a total crazy adventure motorcycle guy who could like ride up the side of a tree. He's like super good motorcycle. guy. I can ride a motorcycle. I'm just safe enough to not crash. You know what I mean? I'm very comfortable. I, I rode a motorcycle in the police department. I'm comfortable on a big bike, but I've never done dirt riding. So we fly over to Himalayas and everybody would be like, Hey, uh, wh- where are you guys staying? And we, we were part of a, a tour group, mm-hmm. but we'd be like, I don't know. And then there'd be like, what do you mean? You don't know? Uh, well, what cities we going to pull into? We're like, uh, we don't know. And we knew a general idea of what was forecasted for our trip from the tour guide, but we intentionally didn't like do a ton of research because we want to experience it firsthand for the first time together. And all the little stories that happened were so much more fresh than if I would have done all kinds of research about where I was going. I got, you got to be careful with that because that could either make or break a trip, you know? So uh, anyway, that, that was a side note on that story, but that's a perfect example of like, it's not a matter of uh, if I could, how I'm going to make the trip happen. It's how, how am I going to make it happen? So whether I got to work some side jobs, save some extra money because I don't like impacting my family money, if I could do anything do some hustles on the side to create a little bit of an account to pay for these trips. Yeah. So take us through some of those things you've done to kind of structure your life to do this. You know, you did retire, but it isn't like you're just set for life. It sounds like you still got to figure out how to make this stuff happen. Yeah. So I I work, worked a little bit when I retired at a sporting goods that I always went to that also, I, I, I had a charity event that I, I ran for several years at the police department and they happened to be someone that partnered up with us for some things. And I always, I like all their stuff. They're a small store. I think there's 11 of them in the Bay Area, sports basement. They offer all the stuff that you need. I'm familiar. To type. I'm familiar. I used yeah. to use them with Camp Crate, my last uh, business. We'd ship uh, We'd ship boxes there. Man, you might have processed some of our boxes at some point. Oh, shoot. Who, yeah, who knows? That so would be I, crazy. I, I, yeah, I ended up working there. And then, you know, for the, for the discount, all the equipment, I ended up, you know, going home with less money than I spent probably <laughs> yeah. at the store, uh, which happens to that type of thing. But I would do that to kind of, uh, and they knew some of the adventures that I had planned. So, um, I would do that and some little side jobs, uh, or, or just in general, I'd save up, you know, my normal, uh, pension, uh, and not do certain things to allow for others. So w- one of the main things from retirement, so I retired in 21 and I think you're familiar with this somewhat, but just to give people a perspective on, on me, I don't ride a mountain bike very much. I bought a, a really nice hardtail about 15 years ago that probably got about 2000 miles on it before all this happened. Okay. I would do little trips around my, my local area. The Bay area has some awesome mountain bike and it's pretty much where mountain bike started, you know, Gary Fisher and up in the North Bay Marin County. So 
I would ride a little bit and I was doing these trips as we talked about already, like national park things. And then my brother, who is an avid cyclist, has ridden all the way from Seattle down the coast with all the tour stuff. You know, his bike looks basically like a small Honda with all the gear and stoves and, you know, all that, you know, I mean, he's one of those guys going down highway one. Uh, he'll try to bring friends and, you know, ride a couple thousand miles and live off the campgrounds and write blogs about it. He's really good at it. Loved it. Well, he started talking about uh, the Great Divide and I had no idea what it was. And I'm like, hey, again, I don't ride a bicycle. I have a mountain bike, but I'm not a big cyclist. I, and he, he goes, hey, I'm thinking about doing the Great Divide when I retire. And then my brother's four years uh, older than me. He has a couple kids. He was also a police officer in San Francisco when I'm over in the East Bay. And I said, hey, if you wait to retirement, when I retire, I'll go with you without really knowing anything about that ride, by the way. Right. So he goes, okay, I'll, uh, I'll, and he is super giving with all his equipment. You know, he likes, he, he treats bikes like show cars. He fixes them up, flips them and never is happy with the bike he has because there's just so much out there that he wants to try out. Right. So, so he, he built up a couple uh, salsa cutthroat for listeners. The salsa cutthroat is basically the main bike for the tour divide ride. Like it's the most common. I mean, they have the tour divide map painted on the bottom of a low bar on it. Uh, that just shows you that that bike embraces the tour divide. Yeah, or, it's or, built for it, baby. Yeah. It's, it's, right. You're, you're in good hands out there. Yeah. That, so, so he, he gives me this bike, this carbon bike, more or less built for it. We start watching all the YouTube videos, following all the influencers that do to tour divide from racers onto touring people. And we plan to do the great divide. Right. So unfortunately that particular year was towards the end of COVID. So I think that was 20, the summer of 21. So Canada was shut down. So we're like, Hey, we need to get to Canada. How are we going to do it? We ended up packing our bikes up. We rode a train for 22 hours to, which unfortunately it's in the dark when you're going through all the beautiful areas. So we missed all the, yeah. So you're basically hearing all the rattles of a train and missing all the beautiful stuff that you would see during the day. But anyway, onward, right? So we going into that riding before that ride up there, I probably rode probably five or 10 times. Like meaning I, I, I did, I wanted to do a century ride just to say I could. So I rode a hundred miles. I did some smaller things uh, in between, but I wanted a little bit of foundation ride because he's a good rider and it's seat time. Like if you haven't ridden a bike a lot, sometimes it's just get your legs familiar with riding and just pedaling as you know, right. Let alone all the different things. So, and yeah, and there's a, there's a, one of the books that I reflected on that trip a lot back. I think it's called just ride. And it's about a, a professor of kinesiology that did the ride. And there are so many little takeaways as far as nutrition, uh, hygiene regarding like day to day, as far as, so you don't get saddle sores. And I listened to it while I was riding before I was riding and after meaning before the trip, during the trip and after the trip, just because he's mentioning things and I'm seeing them pass. And it's so cool to hear his perspective as I'm experiencing those things. So back, so, so back to that original trip with my brother, Dave, he builds the bikes. We get up there, we start riding South, right? Uh, it's going really well. We meet this really cool couple. That's a couple of teachers out of Spokane, Washington, uh, Todd, stormy. They've done a great divide before. So they were like, had all the little, uh, 
input that would help my brother and I, you know, like where to camp, do different things. And we were just having like a, the time of our lives away from your kids, uh, just you and your brother reflecting on stories. You don't, you might not recall, or he recalls and you don't. And it, it was just really cool camping at night, uh, going into towns, resupplying. So we're about three or 400 miles into it, I guess it would be. And, uh, we, we pull off at the little, uh, llama or alpaca or whatever farm it's known they're trail angels on the trail. Uh, uh, I'm, I don't even want to say the, I don't want to say the wrong names because it wouldn't do them justice, but I think it's John and Laura. Anyway, they're the, they're the most awesome people you pull in there. And they don't want you to leave, which is bad if you're on a bike ride because you're trying <laughs> right, to not, you're tired. but I mean, but yeah. like sa sandwiches, soda, water, all these little outbuildings they've created out of stagecoach stains and TPs that you could stay in for the night. Even the elite riders that win this thing make a point of stopping and hanging out there because it's one of the premier stops on the great divide. So we go in there with Todd and Stormy, uh, we would split up. Like, you know, like I would ride with Todd, my brother would ride with Stormy. We would just chat about life and they were really outdoorsy people. So they're like, Hey, we can't stop here. We got to do another 20 or 30 miles. And we were doing about, I mean, some listeners, it's not uh, a ton of miles, but we, we do anywhere from 40 to probably 70 miles a day, depending on well, because we're still building into the ride at this point. Yeah, right. Yeah. And was so that Todd the Storm plan? Is that what you wanted to do? Or did you yeah, feel we, we, we yeah, we were almost following the book, and it's it's more of a tour pace. Um, I'll be honest, and we, man. That's uh, that's the way to do it. It's so beautiful, and I feel like a lot of riders miss out by riding so much at night. You don't get yeah. to see a lot of this and, and experience it. Yeah, and and there's another another piece to that too. That what I've realized in cars, you experience life a certain way. Uh, on a bike, you experience it a little more. Be uh, things slow down, and you're able to process more. On an ultra like marathon run when you're running 50 or 100 miles it slows down even more but if you're hiking you're taking it all in because you have so much more time to process everything so what i realized the faster you go the the more you miss so you might be doing it for like later on uh it I'll, I'll i'll talk about that in a second but i the bike's a great way to experience things because you're you are kind of a minimalist and i think the more time you take the more experiences you have in between point a to point b like stopping, checking out the sites. So that we left that, uh, that farm. We were wanting to stay there. Uh, my brother and I, and my brother really wanted to because he follows all the, like, there's so much, uh, stories about that trail that he, he knows of them from all the people he follows. Oh, we got to hang out here tonight. Uh, Todd and Stormy are like, Hey, let's do another tw 20 or 30 miles. And we'll go to Helena that, you know, the capital of Montana and we'll, we could get a shower and we could actually go to a dinner. And then we're like, well, that's 20 or 30 miles. That's a little more than we planned, but we're do it. Because Todd and Stormy are a cool couple. So we start riding that way. And then uh, this, the trip, I mean, it was going awesome. We were about a mile from town. We're following our, our, our GPS grid. You know, as a lot of people are familiar with that, we had uh, asphalt probably a mile away from us. And then uh, I'm with Todd and then we're just kind of, you're on it last couple of miles of your day you're just stoked to be able to go grab dinner in a in a shower and todd pulls up beside me and he says hey uh somebody just went down so meaning either todd or todd or, or uh, stormy or my brother uh and then i go i go oh my god i and just me automatically your older brother you looked up to him your whole life he's an avid cyclist 
it's not my brother that went down. I'm just thinking at my head selfishly. And I'm not saying that I wished it on anyone else, but that's just what my mind was processing. Yeah. Or that, so like, I, what did, what was the level of urgency? Like, oh, someone fell, but I'm sure they're fine. Uh, no, he said someone just went down. And then Todd's a very laid back uh, guy in general. Both of them are like outdoor guides when they were in college, no first aid. They're not going to freak out over something. And he was startled what he's looking back at. So we, we were literally now a half mile from pavement, right? So we turn around, we're on a ranch road. We just went through like single track, not super sketchy stuff, but stuff that we had to really focus on. And we're on, at that time, we were riding heavier bikes, like 65, 70 pounds. And your bikes just don't react like a, a race ready, 45 to 50 pound uh, bike packing bike, right? I mean, it, if you do something, it's going to magnify if you're on suspension or it's going to magnify everything. So we turn around, I look. And I, I make the corner and it's a dirt road and I, all I, it's just a, a yard sale of equipment. Like all the bags are everywhere and we're, we're, everything's singed down. Like it, it takes a lot to pull those bags off our bikes. So I'm like, you know, like the cartoon when you see the guy pedaling, but he's not going anywhere. Like he's just screaming. So I'm in like, so I'm riding as fast as I possibly can. And Todd too, beside me to get back to them to see what, it, what actually happened. And we, we pulled, pulled up, my brother's laying there pretty much like dead still. He's got uh, blood coming out of his ear, which we all know, out of your head, that's where blood can come out. So I'm thinking really bad things. By this time, I mean, I, I got 25 years law enforcement. I was in the Coast Guard. I dealt with search and rescue. I'm very familiar with like protocols and contingencies. If something goes down, we're, we're now having to work the problem, right? Stormy's got his, her, her arms around his head, uh, protecting his neck because we're thinking broken neck, just based on what we're looking at. Uh, I'm thank God I had cell reception. So I called uh, medical. I told him where we were right, right away. They told, told us, Hey, you're at such and such. I think it's pre-scrade. Uh, we'll, we'll have people on their way. We're 45 minutes to an hour for medical to get to us. Right. My brother's kind of going into shock just because, just looking at him, he's not himself. Anybody would, right? Because his body's now making all of its priority to deal with the injuries that are there, uh, in opposed to court, you know, conversing with us. Thank God an ambulance happened to be cruising through the area that hears that radio call come out to their dispatch for all the volunteer fire crew up there. And they're like, hey, we're on our way back from Butte, I think it was. We're closer than any on-duty rig we're off duty but we're going to swing by to help these folks you know hearing what we put out like our our distress call they get there get my brother comfortable and then i used to have like volunteer firefighters are awesome like i mean there was so many people that probably dropped their barbecue dinner with their family to go help us during that time like meaning we had we had so many trucks there it was probably more than an urban city has like people's personal F-150 pickups with all their gear that they come from home to start help, helping my brother, getting our gear to their fire firehouse overnight so we could get him to an ICU or a trauma center. Anyway, he goes to the trauma center, has all the CAT scans, all the scans done on his body once we get him get him to help and uh, get, starts getting created. We get him comfortable. Um, I'm sure uh, people that follow the show probably want to know his injuries. Uh, he ended up having a, a few broken vertebrae in his neck, uh, clavicle, scapula, 
wrist, and I think he had six broken ribs. What happened? So what happened is we found a pretty good uh, chunk in his tire, and what we think happened is he hit something in the road because it was a it's a ranch road, so stuff falls off trucks and metal objects and that. But it was about a pencil sized puncture on the tubeless tire we run. Uh, so basically, his front tire got punctured and bled out so fast, not like a traditional leak, that his front tire basically walked out from underneath him and his bike disappeared without him even able to react. He didn't know it went flat that fast. So the bike disappears. By, he was yeah, so a, the front tire basically burst. And correct. that loss of Instantly. pressure dropped the bike almost out yes. from underneath him that quickly. And, se and 70 pounds of gear, unless you're kind perfectly of halted. It basically came yep. to a stop and he kept going. Correct. Gosh. And he happened to be wearing a, wearing a backpack. So he's got uh, even and more weight. And... And, and you know what? I mean, we... We went to that for we if you would have saw us going on that trip, you would have thought we were like deploying to Africa for a seven month <laughs> safari. I mean, we had so much stuff. And then his backpack uh was was heavy. And we almost think that his backpack and people could ride like they want. I mean, I later on did other things and we'll get to that in a second, but uh, I, I later rode with just a fanny pack. I didn't wear uh, a camel pack or a vest, hydration vest, anything like that, because they had to cut his backpack away from his shoulder. Because when when we think that he rolled, we think that shoulder hit the backpack and it, all the weight in the backpack actually forced his, his body's going one way. The backpack pulled against it. And we th think that's what broke his shoulder. So, yeah, so we kind of rethought gear after that. So I get him home, meaning to the hotel. I get him to the hotel, Todd and Stormy come to the hotel. They're, they're, I stay in their room. We didn't know these folks five days ago. And now they just experience like a life-changing experience where they almost saw one of their friends die, including me, right? Like meeting my brother. And then they're like, we, we can't continue. They, they started, they started to ride the next day once they knew he was okay. And, you know, on the mend at, in the ICU and they started to ride and they started to have tears in their eyes because they're like, we can't leave not knowing if he's okay. I mean, how is that? We're going to do, do another 30, 30 days to finish to the south end and wonder how he was. So they rode back uh, to, to the hospital, visited us, hung out for a couple of days and went home. So we got him home. He got, he was, I mean, I, I should say, okay. He had no surgery. I mean, that's incredible. All those injuries I told you, like it was all natural healing and him just gutting out his bones, you know, healing themselves. Like everything was. Is that a choice? Was that a recommendation? That's they didn't. They didn't require surgery for his neck. His wife went up there, got him home on a plane. We were looking at potential like chartering a plane because, I mean, he wasn't moving around pretty good. You know, you could just imagine his body just basically took, you know, took some huge injuries based Holy on impact. Cow, man, I, that's the worst injury I think I've heard about. It, on the it, tour we've heard. We, we've heard. Uh, and then if it wasn't for his helmet and to speak about a little bike safety. He had a golf ball sized rock embedded in his helmet. So if he didn't have that, that, that rock would have been in his head. He would have died for sure. So even the firefighters are like, the, the firefighters, I think, kept it. And they're like, this is the best safety thing for cyclists in the area. And then I, I, and I think Dave, my, my brother actually reached out to the actual company to tell them how, how good their helmet did after. And I don't remember exactly what brand it was. But so I get him home get him situated. I fly home 
And then I'm like, man, I got 30 or 40 days of open time. I was planning on being on the road. He's okay now. His wife, he's healing. Okay. It's only thing that's going to help him is time. Okay. Like being at home. So I go, I really like the San Juans. I heard from Todd Stormy that there's a ride called the Colorado Trail. Man, I should do the Colorado Trail. And I go, but my bike I, that Dave, my brother built me is, I mean, it's got a fixed front suspension. The Colorado Trail is a little more of a hardtail full suspension ride. So I go, I'm, I'm going to drive to Durango. So I drove to Durango. Uh, these are all little side stories that were none of my plan. I drive to Durango. I talk to the U-Haul folks. It's like this little like tow yard deal. I go, Hey, can I rent a U-Haul, leave my truck here, put my bike in this U-Haul and I'm going to go to Denver to start this, this race or ride and ride from Denver to Durango. It's like a 500 mile yeah, ride. That's such a good idea. Rent the U-Haul truck, put everything in the back. Yeah. One and end. Then just, and then I and just drop it off in Denver. And I left my, my pickup truck at the U-Haul yard. They charged me a little like holding fee. It's in a cage with, with, you know, cameras on it. So I felt good about it. So I get to the other, I, I drive, I drive the U-Haul the other end and I haven't been to Colorado in this capacity that much. And then I started running low on like finding a campsite because I, I mean, it's fine. I'm driving to the other side of the state to start. Right. So I'm like, I'm driving. I, I don't want to get myself in trouble on this, but I'm driving and I'm like, well, I'm in a U-Haul. I'm passing a U-Haul yard, which is not the place that I'm returning to U-Haul to, but it would be <laughs> real easy for me to go over there, you know, after hours, which it was dark back in, like I'm one of the ones that's there just staged to do U-Haul stuff for the next day. And I opened up the back, you know, roll up door. I have, I'm on a bike packing bike. I have everything I need. And you've got so a I ton of room back there. <laughs> I, I basically made that little U-Haul trailer or, or truck into my cabin for the night, slept till morning on the other end near, I think it's Waterton or Denver side. And then uh, pulled out of my U-Haul yard before they open, you know, like I was sleeping on the floor of the U-Haul in my sleeping bag. Right. So I get, so I return the truck as if, you know, I'm like, Oh yeah, I, you know, just went straight from there to here and I'm returning it after I slept in the yard halfway in between. And then I rode from the U-Haul yard to the trailhead, took a couple of photos uh, on the Denver side and I started riding the Colorado trail. <laughs> that is such a great story. Yeah, that, it's, one, it's resourceful Two. Great idea with the U-Haul in the first place. Oh, it was awesome. It and was awesome. They probably, that was probably a first for a lot of the people that maybe processed that if you told them. And that was probably also a first, someone thinking that and saying, well, I'm just going to camp right here. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it makes perfect oh, it sense. Was, it, it was, per and you know, it was quiet. There's no one around oh, a U-Haul yeah. yard at night. So I start the Colorado Trail. I start riding at, uh, I didn't do it fast. And this is now. It's you, a you hard think trail. About, yeah. Really and, you, trail. You, and it's high elevation. So you yeah. think about it on that ride is uh I, I only got about maybe lifetime 500 miles under my belt and i'm now taking on the colorado trail which is 500 uh, miles yeah so well, i start what, doing can I ask this what what yeah. did your family or your wife or or anyone around you have or yourself have second guesses about going back out there after seeing your brother almost die uh what to go do that course what to go do anything to keep yeah, going yeah, uh uh not a no as far as me without him no i didn't uh, or anyone just, saying hey he just almost died 
Yeah. You shouldn't no, go, no, like, don't go. That's uh, dangerous. No, 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 not, Good. not at all that. If anything, I felt a little bit selfish. I want to make sure my brother's okay before leaving. Right. That, right. that was the only thought that, and that I know he's at home. nothing else you could do. No, I, everything he's home, he's situated. Uh, and luckily I think my, my wife has a pretty good confidence in me and doing things that it's going to work out. Uh, anything can happen. But like I said, uh, earlier about like an acronym to work problems before. So it's called pace. So pace is primary alternate con contingency emergency. So if you have any situation at hand, whether it's a, it's a scenario today that you're going to have a problem with the flat tire or it's riding a Colorado trail or running rim to rim to rim, right? Your primary mission is to complete it, right? Well, things are going to come up. There's going to be, uh, there, there's going to be fire uh, restrictions going through certain areas. So you're going to have to take alternate routes. Uh, there, there might be flooding if you're in New Mexico during like monsoon season, all that, right? So the primary is getting to the place. The alternate is if things come up, how are we going to alternate or deviate from our plan? The contingency is what is your plan? So your contingencies are now going to be like, uh, I carry a GPS. I now carry life flight insurance. Those are people that don't do that. I did not know to do that. I never tested my Garmin uh, or InReach or, 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 excuse me, Garmin InReach or Spot or whatever people carry. These are so many companies competing com or competitive in that, uh, that space now. But if you never actually physically tested it before you leave, that's a big gamble because you don't know for sure if it even works. So they, they allow you to test it a few days out from a trip. They do a test run and then, yeah, so I, I did that uh, for the for the Colorado. Um, to answer your question, any worries about people, I think they know that I have a lot of contingencies regarding mechanical stuff on my bike, water, filters, all that type of stuff that I'm prepared for an emergency. So pace, contingency, emergency is when you're basically, you know, calling for help, like a mayday or a search or rescue or going to a, lo a local store to say, hey, can I get a ride wherever, you know? I'm writing that down. I love that acronym. Yeah, um, the pri your primary mission or or priority, uh, same difference really. Your alternative, so like meaning if things have to deviate, sometimes things are out of your control, but you just got to work with it. Kind of what we talked about, and that's half half of the fun figuring the problem out. Contingency. So if if you if you're on an alternate plan, what are the contingencies you have to make that successful? So like whether it be. Uh, different means for your bike equipment. So like, like right there, alternate, uh, your primary mission is getting to the location. Uh, you hit major storm, you're in the snow. Well, what are your contingencies for that? Well, I, I got a puffy jacket. I got a shell. I got a, you know, a bunch of uh, mer uh, merino clothing that will keep me warm. I got a space blanket. I, and then, wow, that didn't work. Now I have an emergency. So I have this Garmin in reach. I'm in the middle of nowhere without cell service. I could message my family or I could worst case scenario, push the emergency thing to help myself or others that, that experience in like, you know, a, a catastrophic incident, really, you know, you got your brother settled. Why not continue on the tour divide versus the Colorado trail? For one, logistically, it's a lot harder to get to, uh, for, for the start, a little bit of me had a little, well, to go back and start from the beginning might have been an option. I'm definitely not going to leave from the hospital to continue just because I want to make sure he was okay. And there's a little bit, and we, we, he and I talked about this a little bit because I don't want to, I didn't want to do his dream without him. 
his dream was ride to great divide. And I was just tagging along. Uh, Colorado has always inspired me that area. And that's like the next best thing because my favorite thing is the mountains. The desert's nice, but I just love being up in the mountains. I love the San Juans, which are obviously uh, down towards the Durango side. And I, I, I just love. You did it. You did the Colorado Trail the right way too. I mean, that's the way. Yeah, to do I, it. I think so. I think so. And I met people along. I met an eighty-year-old hiker on. He even said, "This is probably my last hike on the Colorado Trail." He's in his mid-eighties alone out there, and he's carrying an ultralight setup. And he goes, "If it wasn't for the ultralight." community that are creating all these like options for us like you know what would have been a 45 pound pack in the 80s and 90s he's able to get by with like 25 to 30 now oh yeah uh, he goes if it wasn't for this equipment i wouldn't be out here right now and he goes, he said my wife said this is the last trip i can probably do just because of my age he's hiking over 500 or you know 500 ish miles at 80 years old alone yeah, I, I finished that one. Uh, the, it took me quite a while because I, I had hydro. I learned little things along the way. I had hydraulic brakes. I had a leak. Uh, apparently from the mechanics, air bubble and hydraulic brakes in the mountains is a bigger air bubble because you're at elevation. I don't know if that's true. That's what they told me. So I was running a single brake for three quarters of the ride until I could get mechanical brakes put on it. I had everything swapped out. It's an old bike. My bike was like 15 years old at this time. I love that. Right. I, I don't want to get the guy in trouble because he's out there. But uh, so I follow this uh, far out app and people are probably familiar with it. I think it's called far out. I'd have to look and it, it, we, we could look, but it, it basically has uh, all kinds of little information along your route. And like people have a lot like a live forum that like, Hey, Mason was here. There's a water supply, great trail angels. By the way, there's a bike mechanic at, you know, mile 22. So I look at that. And I'm like, well, I'm Lake city's my next stop tomorrow. And there's apparently a bike mechanic that runs a shop out of his garage. So he swapped all my brakes and I don't, my bike was completely fixed. And if it wasn't for this app and knowing that someone posted to help me out, who's two days out from getting there or a day out, I wouldn't even have known it existed. He got me back operational. And then I got back to the trailhead and continued. Yeah. You know? Wow. That's cool. That is really yeah, it's, cool. No, I've yeah, actually it's never pretty, used Far Out. Um, oh, it's it's incredible. Like, I mean, like water, it's it's crazy, Mason, because it's kind of like it's kind of like a video game. Like you're you're doing a really hard thing, but it's almost like you're playing a video game because I'm like, I'm 100 miles out. Let me look at the app. What's in the next 100 miles when I'm in my tent ready to go to bed? And I start clicking on all the water caches. It's almost, again, the water caches, if you're playing a video game, it'd be like if you're playing like a, like Mario brothers and you're jumping off a mushroom, you're getting points. So like, okay, I, there's a water cache. Good. Okay. I, I'm, I'm resupplied on water. There's a note on there and that's a different trail. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but um, so I finished the Colorado trail on the Colorado trail. I start hearing about the Arizona trail and they're like, Hey, you should do the Arizona trail. I, I know nothing about the Arizona trail. Right. Uh, and they're like, if you do the Arizona trail and you go back and do the great divide, that's a triple crown of bike packing. Again, I got like 500 miles total riding in my life, maybe six, 700 once I finished uh, Colorado Trail, right? So I'm like, I should do that. So every night at the tent, yeah, I'm worried about Colorado Trail, but I'm researching the Arizona Trail while I'm on the Colorado Trail. And then I'm like, I, I was doing that in August, right? The Colorado, which is a good time. And I go, wow, it looks like the Arizona Trail is, it's October the race, you know, like, I mean, 
I'm not racing, but that's the be- obviously the optimum time to be on the Arizona Trail between monsoon and heat. You know, you're avoiding a lot of the different things that impact that ride. So sure enough, I finished the Colorado Trail. I get home. I tell my wife I got to go back to this sp- sporting goods for a couple months, make some cash, and then uh, I start uh, driving out to Arizona to do that one. Right after, so a couple um, months, like two months. Okay, so you do the t- 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 so for doing them so yeah. close together. What were some yeah. of those differences? Those major differences. Uh, man. Well, f- first of all, that Arizona Trail, they call it a trail. It, <laughs> it, I happen to follow a monsoon season, which was unprecedented weather they had before that year, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. People that are listening that have ridden it that are cyclists are going to say that's not that hard. To me, a, a new cyclist, the weather conditions, carrying like, so I get on the north side, I get to the trailhead. Awesome story about the trailhead. One of my uh, my uh, backpacking uh, paddleboard stories, I ended up, I know this guy, uh, an outfitter out of uh, Page, Arizona, right there that's given me a ride in the past to paddleboard Horseshoe Bend. We we're like kind of friend, friends now, right? Uh, and we correspond on trips. And he always like checks checks in on me or whatever. I I go. He lives near the trailhead, like a couple hundred miles. So I I reach out to him. Has nothing to do with the fly fishing service he does out of Lee's Ferry down there. He goes, yeah, I'll give you a ride to the trailhead. Drives my truck to the trailhead, drops me off. You know, gives little uh, you know bro hug. Uh, good luck. You know, have fun. And drives my truck back to his house. And this is just <laughs> someone I met on a past trip. So anyway, right. What are the differences you ask and it doing right after another ride? There's a lot of hills and mountains, uh, in Arizona. Did not know that it gets really hot in Arizona. That particular year, there was a ton of snow 30, 40 miles into this ride. My rear derailleur gets caught up in a bunch of, uh, muck from snow, like just between ice and slush and basically jammed my derailleur in a point. It, it wasn't operational, bent it, bent it out from like the hangar, Right. So now I'm, I'm a single speed and I'm about 50 miles from Flagstaff, right? So I'm now doing back to the little circus bike thing and like one of the like super quick gears. I'm going like nowhere, but I'm pedaling really hard. Uh, so a couple zip ties, I zip tie the derailleur to my frame, got my chain to still operate. And then I, I, I rode to a bike shop, uh, you know, that ended up repairing it. But I, prior to doing this, I had to go to the Grand Canyon, as you you probably know, and a lot of listeners probably know, the Arizona Trail, you can't go in the Grand Canyon with your bike rolling. So you got to break down your bike. You got to build your- You can carry back. it on your back. Yep. Correct. So my, my, I wasn't really riding that fast anyway, because I'm on a single speed at this point. I break my bike down. I leave like 9 a.m. in the morning. I build this little backpack with a bunch of uh, the ski, like volt straps, whatever they call the rubber straps on my pack, uh, have it situated uh, with this bag that I brought one way, planning on the other end, I was just going to throw it away and then go back to my bike packing gear. So I had a, a larger backpack, put all my bike packing stuff inside of it, took my bike apart, strapped it to my bag. And now I'm hiking the Grand Canyon 9am from the North Rim to the South Rim, right? That was my goal. So I start doing that and man, a, a, a bike packing carrying rig in your garage works really good. But when you're actually on a trail and you start dealing with other hikers, narrow bridges, narrow trails, 
the, the shifting of your bike, the chafe marks on your body. So I'm seeing all these ultra runner people like this thing that my cousin, I just did last week and I'm passing those people and they think you're half nuts because they don't even know this ride exists. The race is running northbound at this point too. They're riding northbound. I'm riding southbound or carrying my bike southbound. So we're eventually going to pass the racers, right? Like the, the elite of, of these type of races. So I carry it all the way across the canyon. I get, uh, it, it's actually right about the time we are in right now, um, meaning late October. And uh, I get to uh, Phantom Ranch. It's, it's, a, it's a ranch that you and your family could ride mules down to the stay in these cabins. It's really a cool experience. Beautiful spot. It's, it's like at an episode of one of those adventure shows, the experience that you get uh, by doing it with you and your family. You got to book it a couple years out. But I'm like, I'm not going to make the canyon at light. I'm running out of light that, 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 you know, that day. And then I'm like, but there's a campground down there. And, uh, but it's, you got to get a permit before you even go down there. But I'm like, oh, there's a ranger down here. And maybe I could tell him I'm, I'm struggling a little bit and I would love to stay at this campground and I'll pay whatever I need to, if there's anything available. So I'm like Phantom Ranch has this little like snack bar set up that they have a window that you sell ice creams and different things to people in the area. And you're remote. You're like, you know, 10 miles away from a parking lot. So I'm out there and there's this deck and you and I have never talked about this story. So there's this deck with a couple picnic tables and I see a bunch of Rangers and I'm like, whew. I found them. I was knocking on a ranger door at their little hut and they were obviously doing their rounds at the campground and checking everybody's passes. So I see four rangers and I'm like, thank God. And I'm on, I'm not even processing stuff. Well, anyone that's like pushed their limit, you're just kind of in a daze, you know, like you're not, you're, you're, your ability to process like things is just different. So I'm, I'm on my last wit and I talked to this ranger and I go, Hey, and I'm looking at these Rangers and they look, you know, they're wearing khakis. They got the little thing, like almost like a Boy Scout, that little uh, bandana tied around their neck. They got like the hats. They got badges. I'm a former cop. Okay. I could know when people are legit or not, I, I think. And I go, hey, guys, I, uh, I need a pass for that campground up here right ahead. And the, the one guy looks at me and he's got like a cheesy mustache, like almost like a Reno 911 mustache, right? And then they all, they all look at me. They all look at each other. They all start laughing. And I'm like, I could tell I'm part of a joke right now, but I feel dumb because I'm not recognizing it. They're like, hey, it's Halloween. These are all costumes. We're not Rangers. So now, like, I don't think the joke's very funny. I do now. But at the time, I, of course, is like, dude, I'm just looking for a campground tonight. Like now, now I got to find a ranger. And I told them what I was doing, but I thought that was a funny side note story that just four buddies that do an annual trip wore oh ranger costumes into the Grand Canyon to go camp. Jeez. Like who does that? I know. Right. They're probably asking you the same thing though. Oh yeah. Who does that? Like, who's, yeah. They're, who's, they're probably walking across the Grand Canyon with a bike on their back. So I, I ended up uh, finishing and asked you the difference between trails, man. Like once you get on the other side of Grand Canyon, I went to a bike shop. I had my bike all completely reworked as far as the cassette, the derailleur, all that stuff. Everything was running good at that point, heading south. Um, the cat claw, which you probably know what it is. It's this plant in Arizona that, I mean, it doesn't matter how good I wrapped up. I'm get, I have scars from it like rolling through there because the monsoon really made that stuff grow that year. And it was, it was, it was almost grabbing you off your bike. 
I mean, I felt like that, like it was like scratching into your skin because it really narrow roadways or trails, you know, um, thank God for GPS because I would get audible tones that I'm off trail and I'm, I haven't went anywhere. I'm looking ahead and I'm like, I have not went off a trail. And then sure enough, I look at the little breadcrumb I'm supposed to be following. I roll 20 feet to my left or right. And then I'm back on trail again. So like without technology, it would have been very difficult for me to stay on that trail. Just hard to tell where it is. Yeah. You you don't even realize you're on a trail at certain points. Like if it wasn't for that far out app, like resupplying for water, I went three to five days sometimes without water because I'm not that fast. That's the advantage of being a fast rider is they roll from A to B much quicker. So they're getting to the water sources faster than, you know, me. One, one of the little notes, I get, I get to this water source and then I read the note from that app. And then like a guy like you, like, you know, he went through there yesterday, writes a description or writes a description on how I use, it's a cow trough with a, a float system out of a toilet. You know, like the float, you know, the old school toilet with the little plastic ball and it, it rises. That's how they operate to do the self-fill for this cattle trough. But the little mechanism to lift that wasn't operational. So I had to like, I had one leg doing one thing, an arm with a stick lifting the float uh, to fill my, you know, I have a water filter, the Caden or whatever it is, that water filter to fill my bladder to squeeze this like green water that cows live off to fill my bag to push it through my straw or my strainer or my filter to give me a fresh water source. But if it wasn't for like Joe Smith, who went there yesterday and says, Oh, by the way, uh, grab a stick, use your left hand, lift the float. It's going to kick in the mechanism, which will flush this water and, and create, you know, it's going to basically uh, create pressure because there's a little like pump and then I could fill my water. But if it wasn't for other people that went through the trail ahead of me to help, help, I'd, I had to, figure it out you know it's a it's a well it's not something that i could just drop my thing into the sump and and fill my bladder you know what i mean i i needed i needed a, a pump so anyway so i finished that that trail the arizona trail and that was it, it, it was epic um yeah i i uh arizona is way more beautiful uh also a lot less forgiving than i anticipated it was those two trails are two of the hardest things i've ever done the photos, and I don't know if you're sharing any photos on this or anything, but like the Arizona trail photo carrying a bike through the Canyon. I look at that all the time because that was, I was, I, to every bad spot on a trail, there's a good spot in life. If there's low spots, there's high spots, right? So if you're going through some adversity, you're having a challenging time right now from the trail and these experiences have told me there's always light at the end of the tunnel. So the worst day of my life, not life. This isn't, I'm, I'm not going to die. I could have pushed the SOS button, had a helicopter there. And I, so, but the worst part of the trail that I had was that Grand Canyon experience. It was followed by the best part of that trail because I, I started to continue hiking after seeing those Rangers. I didn't get a campground. I laid against the side of the Canyon going up bright angel, or I think it was South Kaibab that year that we finished with. I mm-hmm. called my wife saying, this is absolutely stupid that I tried this. I'm way over my head. She, of course, says, hey, you say this on a lot of things. You're going to be fine. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, it's just another challenging oh, thing. Man. But going up that trail at sunrise, there's no better way to see the Grand Canyon than when the sun's coming up and all the lights changing, all the you know, animal lights coming to life. Imagine. And that photo that you see is like two miles from the trailhead from me finishing. And I look back on that and 
kind of what I said, that was a super low point of that ride, but it, it was followed up by a high point because next thing you know, uh, I'm experiencing a whole different thing. It's no different than moods, right? You're in a good mood, a bad mood. And I, I find on, on the trails, like I'll r- ride through a desolate area that might be super ugly. And then next thing you know, you're two miles, you're in one of the most beautiful parts of the trail, you know, and I, th- I think of that as life and it's, there's highs and lows. So just know that if you're on a high, just understand something around a corner is going to be a low, but there's probably going to be a, another high right behind it. You just got to navigate the storm, you know? And I love hearing that you, even you, super experienced cop, badass, doing all this cool stuff, uh, still call your wife to say, I don't know what I'm doing. I got in way over my head because I do that almost every trip, <laughs> every Every if she if we talk on the phone during the trip, that's the tone. That's the feeling. You, you know, it's funny that, that you say that too, is like a lot of people are like, Well, I you could give up on any goal at any given time. I don't necessarily have so back to that acronym, I don't have really options in that unless it's the emergency piece. To all that I know is it's gonna slow me down. I gotta figure out the problem, I gotta work the problem, and it's gonna take longer. Like I'm not a racer, so I'm not like one of these guys or girls that are trying to race like a individual time trial or the fastest time known time. So I know I have the flexibility schedule wise that if it takes me an extra 10 or 15 days to go get my bike worked on to let my ankle heal or do different things. So I'm very fortunate to have that. Um, but if I think if I created outs along the way and then, I, oh, oh, hey, uh, Mason, I know you live two miles from the trailhead. If I'm not feeling good when I, you know, cut through Silverton, Colorado, I'm going to call you and come give me a ride. I do none of that. You know what I mean? I can do that. I could call for an emergency from a local person to give me a hand, I'm sure. But I really try to create no outs, emergency outs, but not contingencies for like, for me just giving up on myself, if that makes sense. You know, absolutely. There's going to be bad days. On any trail, even the elite riders. Do you have you know? to fight the desire to like to call it? You know, I, I I honestly can say I never thought of giving up on any of those rides. Um, I thought that it was going to take me way longer uh, than it did, but I never thought like, okay, this is enough. I mean, I I mean, I've said this. There's a video that I came across. Some people I, was that the Arizona Trail. I don't even know what trail I was on. I was on one. Of, I think it was the Arizona Trail. Yeah, I came across this couple, videographer couple, right? And they were out there doing a documentary of some sort and they interviewed me and it's it's on my Instagram. I think you you might have either seen it. And they asked me about things. And to be honest, I think half of the reason I don't quit on things is I quit things, a handful of things as a child. And I look back on those all the time and how uh, they haunt you, you know, not, not like a, but like there's, there were very simple things that I didn't have to give up on. And, uh, I think they made me more of who I am because if I didn't have failures in my background, I don't think I would chase things as hard as I do. So I know I don't want to quit things. Uh, and what kind of example is that for me to like my children? If every time that I, I have an, an out, I take the out or the easy route out. Um, so I, that, I'm always mindful of that. And I, I would, my brother's saying that I, he had to stop. Right. Oh, I mean, you yeah. Have an that's life or death right there. Yeah. I mean. But, but like some of the other things that, like, if you could just take a week off or do something and you have the, the means financially and your family's okay with it, uh, 
it's you're, it's going to sit a lot better on the other end of the trail if you know that you just took a little while longer and you just continue continue to push you know they they asked me that and that's they said well what makes you want to do these type types of things and i said and they interviewed me and i said uh I just quit some things as a child that I, I look back on and I'm like, why did I quit that? And I wish I either had someone with me to push me harder through it, or I just didn't quit in the first place. But without those failures, I don't think I would succeed as well as I do now in life. Mm. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. Rodeo season is going to be kicking off soon, and, you know, I, I like the rodeo. I like going to the rodeo. I like going to cattle auctions and all sorts of those activities, and I want to look the part while I'm there. I love Tecovis as my go-to boots company, and if you've ever been in one of their stores, it's an amazing experience. Their motto is don't go gently. They are my favorite cowboy boot, and they bring a fresh perspective to heritage boot making, and they carry forward all those time-honored traditions and quality you will find in a great pair of cowboy boots but they're innovative on comfort style and service they have western boots for men and women and are handmade from the most premium leather and follow over 200 time-honored individual steps in their boot making process pretty cool they're austin designed texas tested and handmade and if you want to go to one of their stores, it is an amazing experience. They take customer service to a whole new level. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. And as a special opportunity just for you listeners, Tecovis is going to throw in their best-selling trucker hats or a ball cap for free into any purchase over $100 at tecovis.com. Just use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Again, that's Tecovis, T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com, and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to add a free hat to your order over $100. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast has helped me plan for my tax bill so I don't dread April every year, balancing my budget for this show, and helping me financially plan for my next adventure. You can listen to NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I love that. And that's, yeah. uh, I, you know, I, I often talk about one of the best things my mom ever did was made me keep playing basketball when I clearly was terrible at it and thought, ah, I don't want to do this. She wouldn't let me quit. And that's probably the best decision she's ever made for me, that is. And uh, I constantly thank her for that moment because it really taught me that because because on the other side I was that is I got really good and, and ended up loving it and that's like my favorite sport and played in college. Oh, how funny! That would not have happened had I done what I wanted to at an immature fourteen year old. You know, uh, just thinking, oh, I don't like this. I'm not very good. Of course, I should quit. Not really knowing the repercussions of that later in life, whereas she did and mm -hmm. said, no, 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 no. And I want to hear you ended up. You ended up finishing the tour divide. Yeah. What was the story there? How'd you get back to that? 
I'll give you a quick glance at it. So ba basically, uh, I started to want to do the because I wanted to do the Triple Crown now. I didn't know yes, what it the was. the Triple Crown, it. like yeah. you mentioned, the Tour Divide, yeah, all, Great all, Divide, all three rides, Colorado Trail, Arizona Trail. Yeah, and then they say it's even more unique if you do it all in a calendar year. Uh, and I, I was, I was, I was on the Tour Divide when it would have been a calendar year. So I was like basically an extra week. So I reach out. I, I want to carry a tracker because I'm riding alone at, at this point, right? Um, so I get a hold of the tour director guy and anyone, these are the most awesome races because like I can meet the first place guy from Europe and he's going to stop and BS with me on a trail for 15 minutes about life. Like there's not many sports like that. It's awesome. It's, it's very so, humble. The people organizing it, everyone is accessible, you know? So, yeah. So I reach out to him and I said, Hey, I want to carry a tracker. It's going to be an individual time trial. I, I know that the racers just went out two or three weeks ago. He goes, okay, well, what's your uh, timeline? Again, my brother and I, our timeline was like, you know, 45, 60 days, whatever. We were, we were touring, we were cruising, right? I go, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm fudging my numbers a little bit just to kind of sound like I'm somewhat legit. I go, 40 days. And he goes, oh, 40 days. He goes, we consider that fast touring. And I go, oh, okay, uh, 30 days. And he goes, 30 days. Okay, you got it. So they do your little bio on the tracker sheet, right? That's right. Track leaders. Yep. And it says 30 days for me. That means I got to ride a lot, right? So yeah. anyway, I started riding south and I eventually started uh, like hitting some numbers that I, I averaged about 100 miles a day. And then I finished in 28 days. Yeah, which is pretty good. I mean, it's good for me, but those those elite riders are like sub twenty, and you know what I mean. I think it's, the I winter. I mean, I think the record's like thirteen days. Yeah, it it is. is. Yeah, just a couple insanity. I I can't even. Fathom it, it. Oh, it is. But what's cool about it? I, what other sport can you do the same thing the elite people do and kind of put yourself up against them? And there's so much information out there to do it. And that's what's good about the Tour Divide. Like, I mean, if you go down that that rabbit hole there's so many information uh, much information to research that will help you out so and so from my understanding so you went back and started the whole the whole tour divide all over again for, all the all the way from banff that's all where we ran it yeah i did the first couple hundred miles with a buddy and then uh i continued to rest we came across uh i think uh, five grizzlies two mountain lions three oh, three black bears mountain lions? Yeah, oh yeah i saw them alone and the only Again, it was late in the day and you talk about, I, I hear you talk all the time about like, what did you see on the trail and other podcasts too, that like people hallucinate as they get later in the day. You just, uh, this one, I knew that they were, it was, I think a mom and two cubs. And then the way they moved, it was right by uh, Holland Lake in Montana. Is there a little resort there down a resort but yes like a little very you can close camp See, on the the, yep, the grass yep, a lodge i know yep, exactly there's a lodge i camped on that grass one yeah. night i'm laying there i think it's like one of the first nights into the the tour divide and i'm laying there beautiful moon there's a waterfall on like the other side of the mm -hmm. lake and it was yeah, just there. yeah it was pristine we had dinner in that lodge and uh yeah that, that Okay. That lodge we, we rode, that lodge we rode so hard to get to it. We're like hamburgers, French fries, shake. We're just like looking forward to it. Like mile 50, my brother and I, before we, before the crash ride, we get there closed for the season. Dang. Yeah, I know. So now we're eating tortillas and salami and like peanut butter, but yeah. Oh man, we had it and it yeah. was awesome. And oh, uh, okay. we go out there and camp in the grass afterwards. Cause they let us do that. Yeah. It's beautiful. And man. we're laying, it's, I'm just, I, you can't, it's, you can't even, it looks like heaven. It's just yep. gorgeous. Be you can see every star in the sky. It was a pretty bright night and uh man, I don't know, two, three in the morning, 
uh, the sprinklers come on right in the ground, oh, no, right yeah, underneath course. my sleeping bag. And I was in a little uh, bivy. And dude, we got soaked and it got cold. I, I I don't I'm like I was thinking thinking back, I'm like, it had to be close to freezing. Why would they run the sprinklers? But uh just because it's always cold in the mountains, even in the summer, but now they ran the sprinklers that night. We got soaked and had to go oh my God. off the lawn. Anyway, a beautiful but that's place. A, but that's another one it's so funny because those are the little like side note stories that make trips. Yeah. Right, you're, like you're sprinkler, woken sprinkler up, one. scared to death, getting blasted yeah. in the face with water, and you're like, you don't even know what's happening for the first no, ten right. seconds. You're trying to put it together. Yeah, man, those are the things that make you want to quit in the moment and say f this, and then those are the things years later that make you want to go back. Oh it's yeah, it's funny how yeah. it's the same thing as perspective is crazy, man. So I, I can't, came across the highest, highest point. In a, well, you probably know that Indiana pass is the highest point of, of the tour divide, right? Like as far as the highest mountain and I, it was raining that whole day. And I mean, like people are going to say, well, get out of it. Well, it doesn't matter if you're in the great basin and it's 80 mile an hour winds. If you stop, there's nowhere to go. You got to keep riding. You know what I mean? There's no, I can't hide behind a building. There's not a, a hotel to hang out at. Right. So Indiana pass, it was pouring rain. I, I end up pitching my tent in the rain. You just, I mean, a tour divide ride from sundown to, I, I did sunrise to sundown. Once the sun starts going down a little bit, I start looking for a flat spot. And then I give myself 10 minutes in the dark to pitch my tent. That was my day every day. I didn't ride at night a lot just because uh, that I, I, I didn't need to, I wasn't racing. So um, anyway, Indiana pass raining uh, while I pitched a tent, I woke up in my sleeping bag that was just soggy wet cold because i stupid me i camped at whatever eleven thousand feet and if i would have just dropped to the other side of it an hour later i'd have been fine but you know i i, I wanted to just stop where i was done for the day but anyway but i, I that story like being wet or riding in a rain into new mexico out of the mountains like i had cars this is where there's cars some of the pavement area pulling up beside me honking their horn giving me a thumbs up and i'm like I'm not happy right now, but I need to find shelter. You know what I mean? Like they think I'm doing it for fun. I'm like, and then you run into people like I'll, I'll meet, meet people in New Mexico and they're like, Oh, where are you riding from? And I'm like, uh, Banff. They're like, where's Banff? I'm like Canada. And they're like, that's like 2,500 miles from here. It's just funny, right? Like the way that people process stuff. But, it is wild. Yeah. You, you, I love seeing that reaction and it's yeah. some people it goes right over their head. You know, that's one right. of the joys or they don't process it or, you I always tell this usually when you're on an adventure and it's clear you're on an adventure like bike touring or backpacking and you go into a town you are you are usually the anomaly for people's day and so you people want to ask you where are you going where'd you come from what are you doing and it is so interesting to see people's reactions because I've been in their shoes too and and I understand right. as someone that understands I am one of those people that's like tell me all about your trip i actually got offended the couple last year um this guy was riding by my house in in florida and he i was driving and he blew past my house touring uh but he was he looked like he was racing the tour divide I, he was flying and i rode <laughs> right. up next to him like dude where are you going he's like i came from uh golden colorado and i oh said holy cow i said dude that's where I'm pretty much moved from to here. Right. Well, like, who are you? We might know each other. Like we yeah. might use the same bike shop. And he was like, so uninterested in talking. I was mad. Oh, I was yeah. like, dude, I could, I could have you on the podcast. We could go to the studio. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he's racing. He didn't say he was racing. So yeah. I, I was, 
And my wife was like, you don't know his plans. I said, well, you know, I don't know. I feel like he should have, we should have chatted a little bit. That's what I, cause that's what I like to do, but I can't hold that against it's, him. It, it sounds like we're a lot, a lot alike, like these trips. And I was talking to my buddy that I'm staying with right now in Texas about it, but yeah. I feel like, and it sounds really weird, but when I'm out on a trail backpacking, riding my bike, doing different things, and you're coming across international people on a daily basis, because the people overseas really know how to embrace our national parks, sometimes better than our own citizens, right? Yes, or absolutely. U.S. people. Absolutely. And I always feel like an ambassador for the United States because I want to like make them feel at home. If that may, I mean, I've offered, Hey, you want to plug into my house when you're back in the Bay area, instead of driving to a urban city, you can hang out there with your adventure van you rented till you go back uh, to return it tomorrow morning. Right. And I really think that it's, I love people's stories. I mean, I, I know you got to go like one, one quick story about Kearsarge, Kearsarge Pass. I'm in the Eastern Sierra. I, I'm coming off the trailhead. Uh, one of my paddleboarding trips, it's blowing wind. Luckily, it was my last day anyway. Um, I come to the trailhead. I, I come down. I'm going to my Honda Civic. That's before I had the truck all built out to do this thing. And I see these two uh, backpackers with like really good gear heading towards the trail. And I'm like, you guys are going in there right now? I mean, it's really windy. This is a bad day to start, right? They said, no, we're going to Independence. It's a little resupply town down below us. And I go, that's the opposite direction. And, and they both have accents. One's from Australia, one's from New Zealand. I go, Independence is behind you. They go, yeah, but we figured if we walk up the trail and we pass you, you might strike a conversation with us and we might get a ride to town. And I'm like, okay, well, that's going to work. So I shifted all my gear in my Honda, put it in the back. And then uh, the, the Aussie sitting up front, the New Zealand guy is in the back seat, And we start cruising in town of Independence. It's like 15 minutes down the hill. And then I go, what are you doing now? They're like, oh, we just finished uh, some of the John Muir Trail. We didn't do it all because of all the permitting's kind of difficult at times. And now, now we're going back to Australia. And they, we're going to fly out of LAX. So we're going down 395 South and work our way over to LA uh, with a rental car. I go, you ever been to Yosemite? And then Ozzy goes, yeah, I have. And they're like probably 30 years old, maybe early 30s, I'm guessing. And then the guy from New Zealand goes, I haven't. I go, hey, uh, I'm cutting through 120 Tioga Pass, some of the most beautiful spots in Yosemite to go through the main valley and head back to the Bay Area where I'm from. Why don't you cruise through Yosemite with me and see it? And uh, I'll, I'll give you a ride to a rental car place and you could do it. So the guy goes, well, I've seen it. He goes, uh, he hops out of the car. He's right, riding shotgun in my Honda at this point. He allows his, his mate from New Zealand to jump the shotgun passenger seat. He goes in the back seat and we ride, you know, four and a half, five hours back to the Bay Area. And then I hear about these guys' lives and what got him to the John Muir Trail. Like, like, where are you going to have that experience if you just don't? And, and I, I still like I'm friends with him on Instagram. He owns a furniture company. Uh, he's like one of these really cool woodworkers. They're both furniture guys. Um, and then we follow each other when he comes to the States or I see trips that he does. Uh, no different than if I'm not doing a trip, I'm either vicariously living through someone that is or I'm listening to a story that uh, someone who's done things. Same as you. Like your show gives me an out. Like if I'm not out doing something, I could hear about some guy that pushed a, you know, a jog stroller and his dog around the world like you cover. And if I'm not actually doing it, yeah. I'm experiencing it. You know what I mean? What I really love about that story is just the spontaneity 
yep, and totally them willing the, and them willing to just go and and see. I mean, the John Muir Trail is incredible. Yosemite oh, Valley's incredible. Like it, you have to see that while you're there. Like you can't not go to that. And yeah. oh yeah, even though it is you know a, a Disney World, sometimes it, there's a reason, man. That place is just so special, and and especially Tioga Pass. I mean, just going over that road, oh yeah, and seeing that perspective of Half Dome and just you know uh, all the lakes and and all the 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 domes up there. It's just fantastic. And um, well, Randy, I, I want to ask. As we close, because um, I yeah I, I better get going. I got to go actually get my mom. Um, yeah, I apologize. I kind of oh gosh, no, this a, is awesome. Long in here, this is this is overdue too. You know what I mean? Like I, I we, this is a been a long time coming. And I know I, I wouldn't. I you heard me say it like uh, that. Uh, imposter syndrome. These are so many. Like these people do these crazy things, and I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm ready to go on there. But I remember, uh, yeah, because I've asked you before. Yeah, and, yeah. man, it's not. It's really not. It's really not the length or distance or, or, or time out or summit. It really is just the quality of the experience and the quality of the perspective of the person. You know, someone can take a story about walking to work, like our friend uh, Bo Miles over in Australia, a storyteller, filmmaker. He takes that and turns it into a story through documentary. That's just like, yeah, you know, like I, I drive an hour to work every day. I'm going to walk today which takes more than a day because it's 60 miles. It takes a whole weekend to get there to work. And he's like, what was that like? And it was so interesting because, and it teaches you like, it's really just about the perspective. And so it has nothing to do. You get people that have done the biggest, coolest adventures. They might be a total a-hole. You know what I mean? I don't want to talk to them. You know, I want to talk to people who love this thing and, and, and want to see the world this way. And, um, and can tell the story, man. These have been awesome stories. To wrap up, got a couple questions. Yeah. You got anything planned? And if not, that's fine. Don't ever feel pressure to like answer the what's next question. And two, what do you think you did right about the way you've approached this? And what do you think, what do you wish maybe you had made adjustments to um, mm. earlier in life? I don't want to say regret, but like, what, what do you think you did right once you learned this kind of stuff? Yeah. So the first, first piece, it sounded like what, what I have planned. Um, I I did a a 50 mile ultra run on my 50th birthday. My birthday's coming up in February. I'm planning on doing a hundred, I'm planning on doing a hundred miler. Are you turning a hundred? No. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll do it on that. That would be funny. Yeah. Um, shoot, that would be uh, some sort of a record. I got, it's gotta be, but yeah, yeah, so I'm doing, I'm doing a hundred miler because I do want to eventually do one of the ultras in Colorado that you have to qualify for like in the San Juans or out that area. Like a lead Um, bill or something. Yeah, I I kind of do. And hard rock. Yeah. And you know, what's weird about me is I have a hard time. Those races are awesome. And, uh, logistically I put on a charity event in the past. I know things cost money to put on. Uh, but I could get somewhat of the same experience without being in a major event like that, an Ironman or, thousands Bill or of dollars. Too. Yeah. So uh, and, some and, of the smaller... man, I, I'm the same way. I, I enjoy doing that work myself and having that yeah. more solitary experience without cutoffs and without aid stations. Like those yeah. things are awesome, but I want to, I don't know. I don't want to do it my way. Yeah. And I, and I totally like lead bill is interesting to me. Um, if you think about the tour divide though, like one of my big days of climbing, I, t- I climbed over 10,000 feet and over a hundred miles. Well, that's Leadville. 
Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not at the nine hour mark to, in order to get the big belt buckle, which would be super cool to get. But um, I mean, it's, I've, I've done similar things. Uh, obviously they're faster. It's a whole different situation. Your equipment, you're carrying way less. You're not, you're, you're not carrying a tent, all that kind of stuff. I thought about doing, uh, and I'm sure it's been done, but I thought about doing uh, back-to-back Leadville and then an ultra run within, you know, what are they, a week apart? Um, so that would yeah. be cool to run, run to Leadville and ride to Leadville within a week. You um, look up the story on this show. It's one of those that's you're talking about where it makes anybody feel imposter syndrome. Uh, Robbie it, it, Ballinger it, it, did the Colorado Crush. Oh, wow. It is. Let me. Can I explain it real quick? It's it, it's yeah. the whatever. It's the three Leadville events. It's the marathon, the mountain bike, and yes. then the run. Okay. Um, it's but they're spaced out. Whatever, whatever three events. Oh, it's it was. Hard Rock. It's probably Hard Rock two i bet that's the third one it was but he did them and in between so he did the marathon yeah oh no i think it was the marathon the 50 miler and the 100 mile anyway i'll I'll go look marathon then he climbed all the colorado 14ers oh see that's but when i hear people do that 50 miler then he did the colorado trail then he did the 100 miler all in one summer yeah it's i don't i don't know how so i'll do do that the 100 100 miler um there's I oh like even this trip right right now I came down here if you're not familiar I I follow a lot of uh, CrossFit type stuff that's kind of my foundation of fitness I got a garage gym I work I out a lot Matt Frazier if you know him oh did you really for my, oh for Athletic Brewing for Athletic Brewing yeah yeah I know well I mean he's kind of like when they think of CrossFit and the Mount Rushmore of CrossFit the name, names he'd be one of them yeah for sure I I know he I didn't I didn't know yeah he he is so I'm I'm down in. Uh, the Austin area to watch the Rogue Invitational this weekend. And that's like one of the biggest CrossFit competitions in the world annually. Um, but I'm visiting friends along the way. And then obviously there's two national parks in, uh, in Texas and then a couple in New Mexico on the way out of here. So I'm going to hit those on the way out of here. I try to knock those out as I see them. Big Ben, Guadalupe, Carlsbad Caverns. And Climb up White Guadalupe Sands. if you can. I've never actually okay. been to Big Ben, and then Carlsbad Caverns. Spend some time there. Oh, good. I that's, don't know that's how what the guy I'm with said to do that. I don't know, you know, if you appreciate geology or just you're an awe-inspired by just majesty. I I yeah. know you are, but yeah, that place. I mean, I would go back there in a heartbeat to spend a, an entire day. I spent a whole day, just about the first time. It's I funny, went. funny you say I. I feel that way about Mesa Verde too, too, like with all the little like community that they built on a hillside. I went through there and I could have spent two days just understand, like, how did people build this? Where did, where did the people go? I mean, if people, the listeners haven't seen or heard of it, it's basically like a, like a old community that they built carved into a hillside for obvious reasons. So they can't be attacked by other, you know, villages or, or, yeah. Cliff dwelling is what it's called. A cliff dwelling. And it's it's like they built a whole village in the side of the cliff by hand with however they anyway, it's it's the most incredible thing. It, it's so out awesome. There. And, yeah. and it's, Just it's, one it's of like many. that in the sense of like it's not a uh it's not an archaeological park, but it is like the geology it it and you start learning about how long it would have taken to form all these things you're looking and the different types of stalactites and stalagmites and, and the size of these great rooms, man, it is it is one of my favorite national parks, and I've been to probably about as many as you have, close to you know thir- a little over thirty. And uh, please go see that one. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's 
great because that's that's on our on our list for sure we were going to try to uh get some of the highest peaks per state uh on the way right now but the weather is kind of changing yeah guadalupe and then like black mesa for oklahoma and then over in uh new mexico too but the weather's changing right now so i don't we don't want that to impact the i don't want to drive 800 miles for it not to work out so i'd rather stay south for this um and then back to your other your other question as far as if i would have done anything different or uh any changes or that i think of i thought of this on a run because i knew the show was coming up and a lot of people think of uh think of like when you when you go somewhere you're leaving breadcrumbs in order to find your way right like they say that like you hear the old like fairy tales like drop breadcrumbs and i can fall back to get where i'm going to where you've been and i almost as much as i i like looking back on the things i've done i think it's all equally as important to have breadcrumbs ahead of me and those breadcrumbs are like goals like okay February, I'm going to do a hundred miler next summer. I want to do these national parks. I think without little goals ahead of you in life, it doesn't give you a whole lot of purpose. And if I have, as long as there's goals and things to kind of reach out and chase, whether they work out or not, just the research and the, I guess the journey to get to those is that's just as fun for me than the actual experience when I'm there. Uh, and then as far as changing things in the past, I know it's cliche because everyone says that, but I, I, I think if I wasn't a product of what made me who I am today, uh, like meaning the failures and the, the, I guess, challenges I've faced along the way, I probably wouldn't have as many successes in the things that challenge me now. Because kind of what you said, like I, I, I won't quit unless I have to because I quit on some, some things early and I think those made me stronger in the long run. Right. Like I, maybe, maybe you don't get that job and maybe it was meant to be. And you're the next time that job comes up, you're going to be a hundred times more prepared because you were turned down the first time. Not only are you going to be prepared, you're going to be probably more appreciative of getting that job because it wasn't so easy to get it. And that's, uh, and that's part of it. Right. So, and, and as far as for people listening and trips, and I, I haven't done a whole lot, I mean, compared to some of your people, but I would just say that the sooner you could get out and experience things locally, regionally, even around the world, uh, the more you're going to realize is out there. And I wish I could have started a little bit earlier in life. I started doing a lot of these things in my you know mid forties on uh, with my kids, but I also needed to make sure that they were involved in things when they were young uh, to keep them busy and to keep that, to, to kind of challenge them in life and prepare them for the future. Uh, but I can't really say, I wish I would have never had them in team sports or different things that prevented us from doing these trips. But, uh, I would say if you don't have a big window, take advantage of the window you have 36 like you hours, have 36 hours. And I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll challenge people to sit and watch 36 hours of your favorite show. I, I don't want them to do that because again, it's, that's not necessarily healthy for you or go do a 36 hour road trip a month later and see what you've experienced. See if that 36 hours felt longer in which scenario, because I'll tell you what, I'll do an adventure in two or three days of camping and hiking. And I feel like it's three weeks. Yes. Slows time down. Adventure yeah, slows so time, time down. I, I really think it does. And it, and it, 
it gives you a chance to kind of unpack the things that are going on at home and, and fix things when you come back. So, yeah, it does. It, 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 you know, a lot of my trips these days are Friday after work till Sunday night and that's no time off. It's a standard weekend and it hits everything I need it to. As someone who's experienced multi-month trips, it's like, this is what I need. This is perfect. And it feels like, like you said, two weeks. I don't know how it does that, but it does it. So. I just came across, you probably know these guys, but during my research for the Rim to Rim to Rim, uh, it's a 60 hour something it's called. It's on YouTube. Have you seen that? It's two guys. One guy's like a mountain guide. Uh, like, you know, he's a guy about my age, I don't know, 40s to 50s that uh, has a ton of experience doing different things. And then his his buddy is like a tech guy that works like, you know, a nine to five Monday through Friday, kind of when you think of like my cousin, what I just described, he, he's, you know, in a traditional job and these guys have 60 hour experiences and they do YouTube videos about it. So they do that. They do the rim to rim to rim was one of it. The guy that they actually did it with was on a brand new prosthetic blade that he did rim to rim to rim with. Like, so he's on, he's basically, you know, a disabled guy on a prosthetic doing the trails that I just did. I'm like, if he could, if he could do it, I should be able to do it. Because, I mean, that's incredible. It's a new, and it's, it's fresh to his limbs. So it's not, you know, like the chafing and all the stuff that you eventually work out. This thing was brand new. So that's, a, they did that. They did the Tahoe Rim Trail in, in 60 hours. So his buddy, one buddy, like, just like you, hey, Mason, we're doing a trip in June. Okay. Well, where do you want to go? Hey, it's closer to my coast. How about I pick you up at San Francisco airport? We're going to go do the Tahoe rim trail. And then we're going to hustle on bikes because we don't have the time to hike it. And then I'll drop you off the airport when we're done. That's like, that's what this show is about. It's super cool. It just shows you, you could do a lot. So anyway, man, the one I thought of was the, uh, beat Monday guys, Mike Chambers and, uh, Jason Anton. They had a show on outside TV where they would Friday afternoon to a Monday morning, they would go international in that amount of time. Yeah, I think I think that's them. I, Mike I didn't know Chambers, he's been on yeah. the show. Oh, how funny! I yeah. probably listened to it. And didn't I? I've listened. To, <laughs> I go back to your shows, and I'm like, I forgot I even listened to that show because there's several podcasts that I listen to for different things, but yours is my greatest escape for things I want to do. Or, I mean we all are realistic. I, I, I can't go, I can't say I can't because everyone can, but it's going to be hard for me to go paddleboard down to Mississippi. You know what I mean? Like right. I could do it. And you had a guy who did that. Remember? Yeah. I, I mean, it was enough. And I'm like, just hearing those stories, I feel like I'm almost there because a lot of them are really good storytellers. So you, you really feel like you're part of the experience. And you, and you just, it's inspired you to do your own version of that, whatever that is. You know, you learn, you like you've shared a lot, not just the stories, but you've shared some principles and some things that apply to anybody. And that's what it's about, man. We, we, we're not about the how-to on this show. It really is to provide that inspiration so that you'll get out and do that next thing, whether that's this weekend or when you retire or whatever it is. And so... So many stories out there, so many adventures, and that's why we replay visited episodes on Thursdays. Is because, heck, I forget. I'm like, what did oh, we shoot, talk about? What did we? Let me re-listen to that show, and and I'm like, man, did it? I forgot they said that. That is so cool. So, man, well, Randy, this was awesome. You're living it. You're you're doing it. This is awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show and, and telling some some of your story. Of course, th- thanks for having me. I mean, it's an awesome opportunity to kind of live through all these people. 
well, now people are going to be living through you. How cool is that? Yeah, right. <laughs> they're going to be like, yeah, I know, right. Yeah. You're a, you're they're, one they're, of them too, Randy. You're they're, one they're going to be like, oh, I mean, I think you had a show. A guy rode a uni- unicycle across somewhere, didn't he? Oh yeah, like we he, had. I'm like, what? We had skateboarders go cross country. We've had yeah, just random I mean, that's, stuff. I it it humbles you when you run into people out on the on the road. That's for sure. It does, man. Man, you've been such a huge supporter for so long. I. You know, just I, I, it blows my mind. People even listen to the show. I, I put it out there. I mean, I'm just on a screen. You know, I put it out there, and maybe you know, I'm the only one. You, maybe it's been me all this time. No, I know better. One, one listener per episode. Yeah, is what my, yeah, uh, no, that's great. But all right, man. Well, safe travels, and thanks awesome. for uh, thanks for being on. Thank you, sir. All right, all we'll right, talk see soon. See all ya. Right, bye. Bye. First of all. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.